This episode is sponsored by Better Help. What is the first thing that you would do if you had an extra hour in your life? Oh, the first thing I just thought was, oh, I'm going to need more than an hour to fit that stuff in. But uh, the fact is a lot of us spend our lives wishing that we had more time. I know that is for me. That's a big thing, uh, especially you get older. <laughs> um, and the question, you know, time for what? What would you do? Would it actually make you feel better? What is it that you feel you're missing in order, you know, that that would make it better? Um, and and one of the ways to sort of help figure out that out is is therapy. It can help you find out what matters most to you so you can do more of it or focus on what it is that you're spending your time on that that maybe isn't giving you that that sort of fulfilling experience. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of times people talk about therapy or they talk about mental health or it's about uh, trauma or it is about, you know, like like a, a great amount of pain or anything. And those things are all very valid and everything. But also, you know, in some ways there's stumbling blocks. Uh, there is sort of a, a, something indefinable that you're having a hard time getting to that maybe is stopping you from feeling as confident as you can, as good as you can. And, you know, therapy uh, is, is one way to go after that. If you are thinking of starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, is designed to, be, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire, you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. You may switch therapists at any time you like for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy Pick of the Week 769, brought to you by Macroverse. Next generation comics plus webtoon. Download the app at www.macroverse.media. And iFanboy listeners just like you who are washing their hands and wearing their masks still one year later. Fanboy Pig League episode 769. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and sitting in for Josh Flanagan this week, Dr. Ryan Haupt. Hey! And, hey, it's our former co-host, the Internet's Paul Montgomery. Hi, hello. How, how are you? How are you? Back. How He's are you back. Doing? The Animation Brain Trust is sitting in on the pig show this week. Yeah. Cartoons. <laughs> yeah, we can talk Love about cartoons. cartoons. We are iFanboy, and every week we read a bunch of comics, and one of us picks our favorite book, called it the Pick of the Week. We'll talk about that book, other books, the patron pick, listener mail if we have time, probably not. We'll have fun. It's fun Then the three of us get together. We like talking to each other. What episode number is this? 769. Nice. Here's your spoiler warning. Exercise some caution. There's just some spoilers. And this week I had to pick, and I had 26 books this week. Which What's is going the on? Biggest week I had in a while. And mm. when I finished reading, there wasn't like a book that stood head and shoulders above everything else or, you know, shouted out that I'm the best. And so I, I had to sit on it for a while. And I kept thinking it back to Two Moons, number one from Image Comics, which people were surprised by a little bit and how much I enjoyed it and how much I wanted to find out what was happening next and how much I liked things that happened in it. And that was the book that I kept thinking about, and that's how it became the pick of the week. Written by John Arcudi, art by Valerio Gian Giordano, colors by Dave Stewart, letters by Michael Heisler. And you think with a creative team like that, it would have been a dark horse, but it's not. It's an image. 
Oh, it's not a dark. <laughs> it's not a dark horse. No, I thought the same thing. So this is the story oh, wow. of a Civil War soldier. He is, is he's a Kiowa. Is that what's this tribe? I forget what it says. It's a Pawnee. There. Pawnee. I'm reading something else with yeah. a Kiowa character in it. He's been having visions of his dead grandfather and of demons while he's out fighting the Confederacy, and that leads to problems. Fighting for the Union against the Confederacy. Right. Yes. That's pretty much how it worked, wasn't it? I know. I just, the way you said it, it could have been slightly unclear. I wanted to make sure we knew who was on what side. Okay. So he's on the Union side fighting for the Confederacy. And he's someone who was, I believe, raised in a white household. Yep. According to the essay in the back yes. by John Arcudi. It's been wanting to do this story for a while. and It should be in a story. I don't want to find yeah. character details in an essay in the back. Yeah. This is the Dave Rigur essay we talk about all the time, but in the back of image number ones, in which the writer tells you about why they want to make this book. Fine. But don't reveal character details in the back. I want, I also, I want that essay at the back of the, you know, the first trade, right? They used to be like, you know, trades used to always have intros. Right. Remember? Yep. That's where I want an essay. I don't want an essay at the back of every number one issue. Yeah, every book, you open it up on the second or third page. It's got an essay by Roy Thomas, usually. <laughs> or Mark Wade. I think that's like most of it. Yeah, it's either Roy Thomas or Mark Wade. It doesn't matter if they wrote it or not. Right. But they wrote the original book. But just Roy Thomas has an encyclopedic knowledge of what happened and when. I've been reading a lot of the old Conan stuff. So, so I'm, anyway. I'm seeing a lot of Roy Thomas. Anyway, Two moons. sorry. So that's okay. Two moons. The... So he's, you know, uh, what is his name? Uh, his name is on my sheet of paper. It is Virgil Morris. And so, you know, Virgil is, he's just a foot soldier, he's a private, and he meets a pretty young Irish nurse, and he has a vision of his grandfather, who is dead and he has never met, in the hospital, in the field hospital. And he's seeing, you know, demons at night, and he has a horrible sergeant who looks already like a demon. Yeah, that dude's scary. <laughs> and there's this big, crazy two-page spread battle scene in the middle where there's an attack by the Confederate division against their division. And man, it's just insane what's going on in that two-page spread. But the art by Valerio Gian Giordano was terrific, I thought. I had a question about that. Yep. That particular spread. Mm -hmm. At least in in the digital format that I read that uh, book, the blues and grays of the uniforms look very close. Yeah, that was an issue. I had to double-check. There's like a couple of panels where it's a close-up on a specific commanding officer and I, I had to i basically had to check the facial hair to see where they uh where they have right they have and so i could not to, and i don't know if that's intentional well the the, the, or... the grays that the confederacy wore were bluish gray sure so dave stewart's got 100 million eisner awards for coloring so i have to assume he did some research <laughs> on... shouldn't question it no I'm, you can certainly question it. i'm just saying i've got to assume he did some no but i mean like do, do you think it's it i mean you could heighten the you could up the saturation on the blue you know, you don't have to be completely historically accurate, as John Arcudi says in his backup mm-hmm. essay, that he's you know he's using a little bit of license on historical accuracy. I didn't necessarily agree with you, but I'm looking at one page here where okay. I, no, I'm going to agree with you here. Where after the big battle, where they have the rebel soldier stuck in the barbed wire, mm-hmm. and Virgil's standing there, his uniform there looks a little grayish. Do you see what I'm talking so about? So it's like I was wondering if it's if it's yeah. like is it you know like how important are the differences or like you know we're you know, all flawed people and right is the lack of such huge distinction commentary on the lack of distinction between these two armies in the horrible stuff they're doing. Right. So I didn't know that if that was an artistic choice or if you know, know if they, if that stood out to you, I didn't know. I didn't have a problem while reading it, but I can see how it would be confusing going back. 
I, like Paul, did have a few times reading where I had to double-check who was who. And so during this shootout, during this battle, the sergeant is killed. Well, he's shot from across the river by a sharpshooter from the rebel side. And he turns into a demon. And no one else sees it but Virgil. And so Virgil has to shoot him again. And so now his troops think he is a murderer. And they already are suspicious because he's, he's not white. Right. I thought there was a lot of interesting things going on here. I, I loved the art. You know, Josh and I often complain about the inability of to tell just regular genre stories without injecting supernatural elements. So I think that's why a lot of people were surprised this was the pick. Yeah, I thought of that as well. I was like, I know Josh has a lo- like loves, and you too, yep. love historical yeah, oh yeah. comics. So I thought this would be interesting uh, when I saw it in the solicits. And then it having a supernatural bent, I didn't know if that would, you know, is it is it... <laughs> Is it worth it to have an historical book with the supernatural thing, or does that just make it worse? Like, I mean, I think it's the only way it gets published. You know, sure. unless it's a big name creator who wants to do something like that. You know, it's it's hard. I don't know. I really liked it. I thought the it it came. Across I obviously really liked it. The pick of the week. I thought it was good. That yeah, was really yeah. Good. But it, to yeah. me, it wasn't it wasn't so much a fantasy book, more of a horror book, right? Because this yeah. guy is having these visions that only he keeps seeing, and they're usually associated with death or something creepy and scary. And like, I thought it was a very effective storytelling device to kind of separate this guy's experience in the war from his compatriots even though he's already separated culturally by being a you know native person. So I, I thought it was really cool. Well done. Yeah, I think I th- like there's a reason for it to have yes. this this twist, this, this supernatural or, or horror twist. It's not like zombies for no reason. Like right. zombies in this. It's the whole catalyst is seeing his grandfather. And that was actually like th- that was actually the corpse of his of his real grandfather who he presumably didn't know or had right. seen before. But when he sees him, he's alive. The vision that he has is that he's alive and, right. and giving him this message. Um, and then you find out that the whole time he's been there, he's been dead, actually. Right. With everything going on, like so fraught, you know, in the Civil War with varying cultures and stuff, but then to also have, you know, a character who was raised by white people and to be disconnected from his culture and its mythologies and beliefs what does that do to a person and how do you you know so it's it's it's, it's interesting i think it's a an interesting choice for the, for a character and I'm, I'm curious to see because i think this two moons thing has to do with the dichotomy between him and then this irish girl and right. presumably we're going to see more yes according to the essay the essay laid it all out yeah for the essay exactly <laughs> like if i just read this issue i would think that we'd just see her that once right right and never again, but apparently there's going to be more to that. So There's just a lot of fun things going on here, and, and a writer like John Arcudi has been around for a long time, and so it was mm-hmm. exciting to see him get to do a story set in the Civil War, which is not a comic we often get. There's little Civil War mustaches, which are great. <laughs> Valerio Gian Giordano is really good. I'm sure a lot of artists are not like wanting to really draw a Civil War story, because it's got horses and it's got a lot of guys in uniforms, but I thought it was a terrific job. There's some really impactful panels here when the sergeant kills the wounded confederate was jolting yeah it's like like people getting shot in the neck and like just really horrific stuff between the civil war and the supernatural elements great choice of artist for this yeah looking down the barrel of virgil's rifle as he shoots the uh, confederate captain yes. just some really nice panel work here 
And again, that big two-page spread, there's just a lot going on in that battle. I was really impressed by this. Actually, wasn't sure I was going to read it. I saw the cover. I saw it was this guy in a Civil War hat. I actually thought he was black. I thought it was going to be a whole different kind of story. Same. I thought, well, Two Moons is probably like a werewolf in the Civil War story. I don't really want to read that. <laughs> but then I was like, ah, oh, what the hell? And so, so I was taken right away. I see John Arcudi's name, and I know it's going to at least be thoughtful yeah. and come from, from somewhere interesting. So Yeah. So this was the pick, Two Moons, number one. And it's been a long time since an image number one's been picked. The image is sort of in a rocky spot, but mm. I enjoyed this one. But much like Rocky, they've now climbed the steps and, and are doing the dance at the top of the stairs. At least this with week. A, with the pick of the week. So I was very close to also picking Captain Marvel 26, written by Kelly Thompson, Lee Garbett on art. And this is the final issue of the current arc in which Captain Marvel got zapped to the future and has to team up with all the kids of the her friends to defeat Namor's obnoxious uh, son. <laughs> and it this was just a rollicking good time of an arc. And it, it reminded me a lot of very classic Marvel comics. We've been talking a lot of the show about the Gosh Scale, which is the good old superhero comics. And this is mm. this feels like that in a very classic way in which the story is somewhat resolved because Namor's son gets zapped into the past. And so she's got to continue to deal with that. But then she comes back and there's a whole soap opera element where she, in the future, saw Rhodey's daughter. Rhodey is her current boyfriend, but the daughter wasn't hers. So she breaks up with him. And so it's, it was very like, it used to be that in old way they used to write comics was you had an A plot, a B plot, and a C plot. And the A plot finished, the B plot became the A plot, the C plot became the B plot. And then there was a new C plot. You know, it was this, it was this very formulaic way of, keeping a story going is something that was developed in soap operas. <clears throat> this felt very much like that here. And I like the feeling of the arc is over, but the story is continuing on not necessarily as the main plot, but it'll keep going. And sure. that's something you don't often get now. It's often, you know, things are written for the trade. The story kind of ends and you start over again with the new arc. This was really fun. And I know you guys read this, even though you haven't read the other issues. I'm curious what you thought of having read the final chapter of this. Yeah, yeah I, I maybe would recommend going back a few issues like to, <laughs> to the start of, of this particular arc. But it's always fun every once in a while to just jump in on something, mm-hmm. either midstream or, or at the end, because it is an ongoing story. And there okay. is always going to be something new coming in. And, you know, you, you find your footing and you're like, okay, this, oh, this is... This is the son of uh, Spider Woman. Okay, I get it. And then we'll we'll actually talk more about this in in some of the other books. But sometimes it is fun to just jump in there and and see the high concept stuff. Mm -hmm. And there's always some way to ground yourself and be like, okay, I'm familiar with this character. This and that this will resolve itself eventually. I think this was fun because it's it's not just super dystopia future. It's the 2050s. Yeah where she ends up and but it's it's fun to see familiar characters and and ideas like okay this is like i said this is the son of uh, spider woman so that's her her best friend and 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 spider woman uh, jess is is older at this point and she plays a significant role and yeah i like this the soap opera aspect of it i i think i was i was really drawn to the, the this conversation that she has with Rhodey because yeah, it's a good one it's like you know you uh, I don't want to say it's it's rare because I'm I'm sure we've seen this same situation somewhere else because there's just so much in media in terms of of future stories and oh, yeah. and days of future past kind of things. All of DC right now. 
for a character like like Carol and a character like Rhodey, who we you know know so well um, over the years, this is a fun you know a wrinkle um, to throw in it that she really likes this girl that she met in the future, and it happens to be the daughter of her boyfriend, but it's she has a different mother. It's not her. She's not the mother of this girl. So she has this thing like I made this friend and I want her to exist. And I think she's beneficial and a hero in the future. And so do I put, you know, my my selfishness about my relationship and this person that I really care about ahead of that? Or do I try and create, you know, the future that I want to see by walking away from that? And, and it's hard because it's a possible future, right? As all these things are. Right. And I think they even acknowledge that it's a possible future. But yeah, Rhodey says that some possible future, future you experienced. And and the question is, do you give up certain happiness because you're in it, you're in it right now, and you know you're happy versus the, the the possibility of this woman never existing? And it's a hard choice to make for her. She and it, it goes it. into like a thing that will, will come up in therapy often about like um, self fulfilling prophecies. Mm-hmm. Does it only exist because you make it so? Right. So that's an an interesting wrinkle that you can explore in comics like these and not necessarily in more realistic forms. So this is this is some fun that you could have in comics while also exploring, you know, human psychology and, and that kind Connor, of thing. why does so why does Emma Frost have a small shark pet? I don't know the answer to that. They may have said why, but I've seen that shark pet before in promotional materials I, and was interested and I I know I don't know if they said why. Ratings. I mean, I'm a fan. I'm, I'm here for it. I just did. There was no context. I didn't need context, but I was curious. Kelly Thompson did an incredibly good job of fleshing out these future characters in this short arc. You know, like mm-hmm. I loved Thor's daughter in this. Uh, I loved Rhodey's daughter in it. They were the two main ones that she sort of befriended. And they were great characters, even though we only met them for about four issues. She's a great writer, and this she's really tuned into this world and... You know, I'm 26 issues into Captain Marvel, probably more than I thought I'd be when I first started it, and I'm I'm really liking it. And when it comes out, I'm really excited to read it. And it seems like she's getting even better at balancing sort of the high concept superhero action with like she's she's always been a very funny writer. Yeah. I feel like she's she's getting better at weaving comedic bits into the big action set pieces in a way where it all kind of fits together really nicely. Like at the beginning of the issue when she wants to toss Namor Jr. You know, into the sun, but she can't because Hisako has her armor down over the city. And so instead she just throws him at the, at the, the wall. force wall and it says toss. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she's, she's also really good at group dynamics. Even Black Widow's book was her and Hawkeye and Winter Soldier and also the other Black Widow. And here you've got a whole, basically a team book where she's got where, Captain Marvel's leading a team of heroes. So she's really good at team books. Like, I think she'd be a terrific writer for the Avengers. I can see that. She's great at character stuff, and she's funny. And as you said, she's getting really good at mixing action with pathos and, and humor. She's very, very, very good. She's one of the I best. I don't think I've, I've read a lot of Kelly Thompson previous to this, but I would, I would like to read more. Because, yeah, there's, like, big conceptual stuff. Like, I got this big force ball up. But it, 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 I think a lot of writers can get into the minutiae of that. Yeah. And that can be kind of fun. But then it turns out to be more of, like, a like a Dungeons and Dragons source book thing rather than like an actual story. And that's, that's why I talk about the gosh, we talk about the gosh scale. Like this is like old old comics where I didn't feel the need to explain everything. It's just like, yeah, let's just have fun. So let's talk about crossover number four, Donnie Cates, Jeff Shaw, Deacon F. John Hill. This is a book Josh jumped off very quickly. I've been sticking with and liking. Okay. I'm not sure how I feel about it. Paul, 
you read it all. Ryan, have you read this book? Yeah, I was the one who suggested it for the show. Oh, that's right, you were. So this is this number four. Yeah. The big high concept here is that there was this event, capital E, event, where uh, it, not just superheroes, but fictional characters from everywhere kind of like broke through the dimension into the real world. And with all that power, there was just, a, it, it was sort of like ground zero for a lot of damage. And mm-hmm. so they eventually put a, a dome up. There's a lot of domes this episode. <laughs> and there's been a lot of consternation. It's 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 sort of politics about fiction and fictional characters are believed to be sort of demonic by some people. Right around the world and so there are refugees and there's a there's a lot of modern day like stuff capital s stuff going on in the story and the big reveal last issue was that this character that they sort of teased to be superman Mm -hmm. from a doodle that a little girl did from the fictional world who's out in the real world we thought it was going to be superman but it's actually madman the actual she property. needs to be a better artist <laughs> yeah because like she clearly drew superman and then <laughs> what we actually got was madman who who has a lightning bolt on his chest not an s right and was holding a towel yeah i guess in both the times that she saw him yeah i mean i'll let you talk for a second my 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 biggest concern i think with the book is it's hard to lean on real characters if you can't show them Yes. And there's little nods here, like there's the ultimate nullifier in the museum of artifacts that they find. But like And like they will mention by like name. Doctor Strange. Yeah. And they will show you a character who is a lot like Doctor Strange, but they say clearly is not. And is a differently named character. And one of the the sort of conceits they come up with in was the previous issue was the paybacks and they say this is a book and you probably don't remember it, it was cancelled. Right, and it was it. It ran at Dark Horse, but it didn't last very long. So, like, it's the illusion of these are real characters, or, or this is a real property that existed and was written. But because we can't bring in the Thunderbolts or you know whatever, we're we going to see just, them in shadow in like yeah. prison cells. But we can't. And there's one point in here where there's a there's a hero who's who's chained up in a basement being beaten, and uh, I don't know who this person is. You know, so it, yeah. it loses a lot of its emotional weight when you're, exactly. ca- you're calling out real characters, but then I'm interacting with made-up ones other than Madman. So, or there's a Captain America shield on the wall of the museum, but doesn't have a star; it has a tri- white triangle in the middle. Like it's that's the problem it's for like me. Half like, measures. Yeah, you can't really <laughs> do the story you want to do, so maybe don't do it. You know what right. I mean? Like you can't since you can't. I don't know, Ryan. What do you think about this book? I'm interested in it so far. I agree that these are all issues, but there's well <laughs> issues, and this is issue four. But there are issues with the book. But I, they don't they don't bother me as much as they seem to be uh, maybe bothering you guys, and certainly bothered Josh. I mean, I, I think it's cool that like you know there's a museum for fictional artifacts. That's clearly the the Justice League 
hall, but yeah, because right. that's based on a real building, they're allowed to show it. You know, it's the Cincinnati uh, Union Terminal, now Natural History Museum. So, like, I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm enjoying the way that this sort of meta textually gets to play with tropes and the lines between fiction and reality. And, and I think uh, uh, the idea of just having the, the characters and artifacts who came over from the fictional world with the dot coloring as sort of their mm-hmm. signifying trait um i just think is very clever and i think well that's integrated neat throughout, throughout the yeah. book um so yeah there's a lot of things there's enough about it that i like and I'm, I'm interested enough to see where the story goes that i'm happy to stick with this for a, a little while longer tonic is terrific and jeff shaw's terrific and there's things i'm I do a huge like fan about of both of them and that's so that's so why i'm sort of just frustrated with this book more than anything i did love the commercial in the middle and i i, I realize that people might not have but i did, as a has like an idea, like a new idea, or a format breaker. Like they find, they're in this, they're in this hall of justice with all the things with, I guess, Judy Dench. Oh, that commercial. Okay. Yeah, the, and uh, so they find Valifax, the giant sword, and I was like, what the fuck is Valifax? And then we <laughs> you turn the page and it says, what, what the, the, the hell, hell is Valifax? <laughs> it was a little bit more <laughs> less less cursy than my question, but then we get a little scene from God Country, the book that Donish Cates and Jeff Shaw did before for Image which is where Valifax comes from. And then <laughs> then it gives you a little commercial and tells you where you can pick up the graphic novel. Oh, get, okay. Yeah. And then we get back sense. to the story. So I thought that was kind of fun. Okay, I want to read God Country now. I hadn't read it. I've, I've, I've read a lot of Donny Cates stuff from Marvel, and I've loved all of it. His God Country is a book that he came out. awesome? Came yeah, out, okay. Right? That's what he got him onto Marvel. For whatever reason, I haven't gone back and read it, but I, I want to now. Because I liked the tone of that. Mm-hmm. That little interlude, yeah, um, of this idea of of this like all sword, it's yeah. like it represents every blade out there, and and I, I just I like the tone of that. This book also has this sort of saga thing, this mm-hmm. narration that it foreshadows things to come. A knowing later. narration, yeah, this knowing narration, and it talks about like well, like when like in saga where they talk about, but we didn't know then, but you know my parents would get divorced the next day, or have, right. you know. And this one does that with this couple, you know, this ellipse, this girl named Ellipsis and the son of the preacher man guy. Mm-hmm. And it says how like it's this is going to be about their love story. And I feel like there's a lot of stuff that's like provocative about the narrative. And it, it's more of that than the actual substance of the story. It's it's, 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 it's a lot it's, more of like telling you this is important than actually portraying it yeah it's a trend in modern comics right now it's it's right. not it's not over, it's not a huge trend but it's so it's you know it's it's i think it's it's a lot of interesting concepts i think it's a little over complicated for its own good there's like a, a few too many gimmicks going on mm-hmm. so I don't, I don't know if this one's for me ultimately if, if i'll continue with this but i just like it, it's weird because i i want to say up front that i just i love donny kate's stuff at marvel and this is just a weird miss i think the knowing narrator stuff can be a little too cute by half, but I think Donny Cates toes the line pretty well. And there are moments where I find it legitimately funny, like when we do have the cutaway to the guy beating up the dude dressed as a superhero who doesn't have the dot pitch coloring, which right. makes you wonder what's really going on there. And then when it cuts back catch. to the scene oh. with Mad Men, and, and the narrator just says, fucking yikes. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> and I'm like, that's funny. Like, that's funny when the narrator is also horrified by what's yeah. just been shown. <laughs> also, Mad Men ruined Mad Men because I can't say Mad Men. Right. I say Mad Men. <laughs> yep. Unlike Med Men in L.A. There's a lot of things in my head. Mm-hmm. Let's mm-hmm. talk about Future State House of L, number one, from Philip Kennedy Johnson, Scott Godlewski. And this was a book Paul wanted to talk about. I originally wasn't going to read... This is a 
page, well, 40, 40-ish page one shot, because technically speaking, this is the last week of Future State, even though Superman versus Imperius Lex has one more issue to go. Yeah, I was confused about that. I've, I've been enjoying late. the Future State stuff for the most part. I was going back and forth between whether to talk about this or the or the Aquaman book, which I think is great, and I, I highly recommend it. But House of Val, I thought I really wanted to talk about because this is going to be the new Superman writer after Bendis wraps up his run. Did this, and then he also did one of the stories in Future State, Superman War. It's the Mongol one. It's the one where Superman's a gladiator. Mm-hmm. And it, it talks about uh, like how people feel about Superman. Right. And this story, I thought, was really interesting because I haven't been reading the Bendis Superman run. It wasn't working for me, so I haven't read a lot of it. But this felt like, I don't know if he, if they've introduced any of these characters anywhere before. I, don't I think, think they're so. all new concepts. But basically, you've got the Inhumans idea of there's this, this race living on the moon in the future where they're all Superman-related offshoots in the future and it's kind of that concept from the legion of superheroes where they all are inspired by the superman of the past and then this is interesting because it's like they all take it a different way like Mm -hmm. they're all they're sort of like all aspects of superman so you've got like this this one guy um nathan kent i guess or brandon kent excuse me who um is just like a guy in like old navy clothes and then you have con l who was a superman with a sword there's a blue lantern a blue lantern and her brother who was who was the black superman i think who was the one going by superman during yeah, the time he's the main and that's superman. rowan and ronan and so his sister is a blue lantern um and then there's you a have a woman who's got like an eradicator type power yeah. setup with the visor there's a um a there's uh, yep. so like Starfire, but with Superman trappings, which was, I, I, she was my favorite. Theandar. Yep, She's the up. daughter of Brandon. Um, and then they, they have Brainiac four. Um, does that mean, is she, so does that mean she's half Kryptonian, half Tamaranian? Cause that's, that's an insane power set right there. Yeah. I think, I think that's basically. And so it's like, it's a lot to wrap your head around and it's like, it, it's sort of like what I felt reading the, the Captain Marvel book, but right. this is a number one issue. Yeah, it's one shot. So number one, it's is right. Server. So yeah. it's like so you're, but you're. It's like you're jumping in off off the deep end, right? And all of these concepts, and sometimes that's too much, but sometimes, like for me with this, it felt like, wow, look at all these huge ideas, and I guess this is maybe a meta commentary thinking about the fact that this guy is going to be writing Superman for the foreseeable future. Right. I'm excited for him to explore some of this. Like, is this Sort of like that thing where we see, you know, this vision of the future and then we go back and like, how do we get there? And so that's kind of my hopes and expectations for what he does with the character and characters in the years to come. Um, and I think these are all cool ideas. Yeah, yeah. I, I like this issue a lot. I'm glad you picked it because I wasn't going to mm-hmm. read it. And I think Scott Godlewski is great too. So I yes. thought the action was, it was, it's a big action book. There's a lot of fighting going on, but you're getting a lot of character into fighting. There's also a guy with a mustache. Looks like a, looks like a, the invincible people. Anyway, yeah. The bad guy turns out to be Clark's actual son, uh, Pyrrhos, which is going by the name Red King. Which means this was a bad week for Clark's sons between this and the TV show. Yep. And then you know it's all sort of wrapped up very quickly because you know Brainiac Five summons the real Superman who shows up. But I like the idea that he was a myth. You know that a lot of the Superman. Didn't yeah, and they start doubting because because this, this is this feels like not even just like a season finale but a series finale. Right. 
like this is everything coming to a head. There's like armies of doomsdays. There's a bunch of parademon. Yeah, this felt like the last issue of a saga you've been reading for the last five years. Right. With, with this being to, Superman's son, it's not it's not Clark and Lois's son. At some point, Superman has a son with Cersei. Right, because he's been along. He's been alive a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lois is long gone at this point. And then, and then the the original Superman who fathered this this evil or, or misguided, we'll say, Pyrrhus, um, uh, Cersei banishes him to like a hell dimension. And now Superman, and this is a very Superman thing. I think that he was banished to a hell dimension. He when he gets out, his first inkling is. I need to go help the people also stuck in there. Like, it's not just I'm free. It's now I've got to bring my son in there and he could be the Superman that they need in this hellish other dimension. Yeah. It happens very fast. The, the turn happens quickly. Like he shows up, he knocks his son down and says, Hey, you could be the man. I've always thought you could be come help me. And he goes, okay. Like that was the only kind of negative. And I wasn't like a huge negative because they don't have a lot of page space here, but like, there wasn't even, I mean, it was two pages. I think that's like the downside of a lot of the future state books. Like they have huge ideas. And I think the talent that they got to work on it are some new names that are very exciting, but they don't have a lot of space. Right. So for some of them, I'm like, wow, you accomplished a lot in two issues or in this case, like one issue. Mm-hmm. But I'm also, I also feel like I'm being very forgiving on some of them and being like, you only had two issues, and, yeah, for sure. You but you be, told this huge story, and so, you can only work with what you got, right? And they only had a he had forty pages here, so you know I don't, I'm not blaming. I'm just saying that was a little fast. So if if someone said like I, you know this didn't work, like they needed more than three issues or two issues, whatever, they should have done something smaller. I, I get that, but for me, it's like wow, they really were very ambitious, and they're only sort of held back by the fact that they only had this limited space and mm-hmm. I kind of, you know, I'm forgiving of that, but I thought I was like, I would love to see more of this. That's the thing. Like I, I was like, I, I hope that he gets to play with these characters more. Philip Kennedy Johnson them. wrote the last God uh, book that I think Josh read a couple of issues of, I read one issue of didn't really connect with me, but I thought this was really good. Yeah. That didn't connect with me either. I'm looking forward to his Superman. Cause yeah. this was really fun. Batman black and white. Number three. Featured five stories, The Calvary by John Ridley, Olivier Quapiel, and Darren Bennett, A Kingdom of Thorns by Bilqui Evli and Aditya Bidikar, hope I'm saying that right, uh, I Am the Bat by Bengal, uh, with letters by Gabriella Down, uh, Unquiet Night, Night with a K, by Tim Seeley, Kelly Jones, and Rob Lee, and Legacy by Nick Dragota and Russ Wooten. Was it number two was Pick of the Week? Yeah. Am I wrong in feeling like this is an old-fashioned style comic that I'm really glad is still getting published today? No. I mean, it's an anthology. It's really old-fashioned. Yeah. And it's a black-and-white anthology. And I don't know. It's funny. I'm almost surprised that DC has had the restraint to never do a black-and-white series for another character. That always gets me Batman. They're about to do Superman. Okay. (laughs) But all in blue. I'm very excited about that. I love the format. I love these sort of short little moody Batman stories from various tone pieces. Tone pieces. Yeah. And I almost wonder, it seems like in this version of the black and white series, and I've read all the previous ones that there's a lot more focus on legacy and like what Batman means for Gotham moving forward into the future. It almost feels like there's fewer stories about Bruce Mm. and Bruce's life and Bruce's contributions to being Batman and more about like, what does it mean when Bruce is gone? 
But I don't know if that's just something that's in the zeitgeist right now. I don't know if it's the future state stuff or it's just people have uh, bigger ideas about this character than uh, Bruce himself can contain. Or, But I don't know. I think it's really interesting. I always really enjoy all the different perspectives. You know, I, I would say they don't always hit 100% of the time, but I really like that people are out there taking swings and trying different cool things with the Batman mythos. I thought there were more hits in, than misses in this one. I think that the previous issue that, that that was the one that got the pick was mm-hmm. more traditional Batman. Mm-hmm. This almost feels like some noodling around in, in the future state stuff. I mean, well, it's got next Batman in it, the cavalry story, which is John Ridley and Olivier Coypal. That's gorgeous. That was my favorite, I think. In That's this really, really issue. strong. And his sister, Hit Girl. <laughs> <laughs> Hit Robin. Uh, just beautiful action stuff. Um, the washes on this yeah. is just gorgeous. I like that one. And, and I also, totally different, but I really like The Kingdom of Thorns by uh, Bilkis uh, Evely, which is sort of like, I guess it's like, my interpretation was it's like Sleeping Beauty without Sleeping Beauty. It, yeah. Because it's the, the prince going up to a castle taken over by thorns and plant life. And it's right. from the perspective of, so it's like, I don't think they ever mentioned Poison Ivy, but that's who you assume the yeah. elemental force to be. And they don't say Batman, but it's a knight with, you know, bat ears going in and basically sacrificing himself to help her, even though she's seen as this almost, you know, Disney villain, basically, who's taken over this castle. This is my least favorite issue. There were things I liked about it? it. Okay. Yeah. I, I like Bengal's art. I thought the story was strange there was seemed to be no point other than to go haha it's not a guy it's a girl like there was no right. reason for it yeah the art's beautiful the art's I, beautiful I love Bengal's beautiful. art beautiful art uh, yeah. and the story itself was fine but then the last page was like haha i'm bruce wayne's daughter and it's like well what was it, the point it felt of that? more like a tryout yeah comic i, I don't want to be that reductive but it's it, it, it the concept is very basic it's yeah it's like oh this person you think is batman is actually a girl right and I like the cavalry a lot. The Kingdom of Thorns art story I thought was beautiful. I didn't really love the story itself. Uh, I actually really liked Unquiet Night, which I was surprised because I really don't like Kelly Jones. I've never liked Kelly Jones' art, even as a kid. Looks great in black and white. Looks great in black and white, and I love Batman and Zatanna together. Mm-hmm. That's who I ship, as the kids say. <laughs> you know, Legacy was a mech story, which I'm sure Paul liked, but I didn't, I didn't really like it. It looked cool. That, that, I think that I would put that with the, the Bengal one. I think the, the art is gorgeous, but... The story is cool, just kind of there. A cool Batman Beyond pinup at the very end, too. Yeah, the pinups are always been good. Like the, these books yeah. all are, are great looking, for sure. But I thought this was the least successful issue so far. I, I think I, I think it's, it starts off really strong with the, with the cavalry. With yep. John Ridley. The black Batman beating up a bunch of white supremacists. There's kind of a fuck yeah element to that that I really enjoyed. And God, I'll, I remember when Coypel started on, on Thor. Yep. And I, I think both of us, me, me and you, Connor, didn't like his stuff, but it grew remember. on me very quickly. Yeah, I remember, I remember Thor looking like a chicken. <laughs> this is back in the forums days. Um, he I did remember House he, of M, right? He did some stuff for House of M. Yeah. Did he? I thought he was the main artist. But his House Thor was Thor very, was like very you know, heavy in the top and skinny leg, I think. Yeah. And he had a, like a very broad face. And like looking back on it now, I like it. But at the time, I was like... Why this anatomy is weird? He looks like a chicken. This is some of the most. This is really gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's it's art. really beautiful. He's one. He's one of There's my like favorite mo- artists like, right now. The stuff with like like the motorcycles and stuff. Like he's he, it's all across the board. Just 
gorgeous stuff. Like, yeah. if he got to do more of a, like a, like a Batman miniseries, I'd be thrilled. Yeah, for sure. Let's take a quick moment to thank our sponsor, Macroverse. Macroverse, a new next-generation comics and webtoons app that is a universe of adventure. When you download the app for iOS or Android, not only do you get some of the best curated comics around, but you also get to read them using Macroverse's unique tap story format. Thanks to the unique tap story, all the comics in Macroverse are custom-crafted for your phone, adding the element of time and a page turn between each tap. This means creators can craft the reading experience to create an immersive experience for humor, jump scares, and ultimately avoid from spoiling the story by scanning the page ahead. That's the way comics would be if they were invented today. If you like comics and webtoons, you'll love it. Macroverse's comics for everyone, comics for kids, like Rock, Mary, Rock, for YA audiences like Glitch and Remind, Horror with Dead Town and Dame Yaga, and action like Billy Smoke and Auntie. These, here are some picks from the app that we want you to check out if you download the app. Remind, the Eisner Award-nominated Remind, and Miyazaki. Miyazaki. Miyazaki-esque tale of a young woman looking for her lost cat, but when he washes up on the shore of a sleepy coastal town with a head full of stitches and a startling ability to speak, and no memory of how he got that way, her quiet life has forever changed. That art is really gorgeous in that story. I'm going to say that uh, Hayao Miyazaki, the Studio Ghibli creator, yes. and not Miyazaki, the guy from Dead Souls, which is a very <laughs> different aesthetic. <laughs> It's, it's a beautiful book. I, I checked it out on the app. Dead Town, this series follows Chan, a classic hard-boiled anti-hero as he plies his trade in a world overrun by zombies, visually inspired by the rich black and white style of Touch of Evil and the Maltese Falcon. Dead Town combines film noir and the zombie horror genre in an edgy reimagining of the detective thriller. An upcoming release for season, of season two of Paul Shear's action comedy Aliens vs. Parker. This is a unique creator's cut of the Boom series, rewritten and reimagined specifically for Macroverse. Coming out exclusively on Macroverse on Tuesday, March 2nd. And if you want to get on board with the next generation of comics, then go download Macroverse today. Available on iOS and Android, you can use our special link to get to the app, ifn.by slash macroverse, or go to ifanboy.com and click on the link in the post for this show, and you'll be able to get there as well. With the app, you get multiple series, three episodes, and then it's four ninety nine a month for unlimited access to all the great comics. Check it out at macroverse.media. Or download the app by going to ifn.by slash macroverse. Thanks to Macroverse for their support. And enjoy the next generation of comics with Macroverse. And it's definitely it's designed for your phone. I've been checking it out on my phone and my uh, iPad. It's, it's designed to read panel by panel on your phone. It's, there's, there's interesting creators working there. It's a good range of yeah. stuff. That's cool. Genre Reminds, definitely. I was like, ooh, this is really nice looking. So check it out. ifn.by slash macroverse. King in Black, Return of the Valkyries. This is uh, number three. I've been reading the main series of King in Black yeah, and uh, not a lot of the offshoots, but this is a fun one. And the creators behind it, Jason Aaron and Toron Gronbeck co-writing and then the art by Nina Vakueva. Really gorgeous book. I love the art by uh, Vakueva. It's it's really dynamic stuff and they have to draw a lot of horses because yeah. it cuts some Valkyries involved yeah. and uh, very sharp angles, but very dynamic and um the thing that I've I've been enjoying Thor, as I said, and uh, King in Black, I love sort of the challenges that these writers are asking artists to draw. Like in Marvel Cosmic, there are things that like okay, a headless celestial, mm-hmm. cool, I can do that. What does a a needle sword going through the fabric of reality look like? Mm. So it's like that they're weaponizing abstract concepts in really interesting ways that make sense. So I think there's some really heady stuff going on because obviously all the cosmic elements, the Valkyries, the uh, after, afterlife in Valhalla, and all the things that you're dealing with, all the, the heady concepts in this book, 
but handled in a very readable, digestible way. Because there are a lot of comics that tackle big abstract ideas and cosmic stuff, but not all of them are super readable. Not all of them are easy to understand. It's sort of like you have to read it three times to get it. And this stuff feels very grounded while still exciting and awe-inspiring. And I love Mr. Horse. There have been previous Valkyrie Pegasi, Pegasuses. Mm -hmm. There was Aragorn. But uh, Mr. Horse who lives with Jane Foster. And I love this this idea for Jane Foster that she, now she works in a morgue as yep. um, an assistant. Have you been reading the Valkyrie book? Yes. Okay, so this is the same writers from that book, so it makes sense that this is good, because that book is also good. Yeah, I, I, I think it's it's in good hands with uh, Torin uh, Gronbeck. Uh, really cool stuff. And, and like with a name like Torin Gronbeck, yep. with the O with the thing through it, you got to be writing as Guardian stuff. Right. Um, I, I actually think Jason Aaron said uh, in an interview that uh, Torrent Grombeck is the first time an actual Scandinavian person has been on a Thor book. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And it's great. And going deep into those concepts, and we see some stuff in Valhalla, and uh, it's all beautiful. King of Black and is interesting because we're, we're like the exact opposite of you, Paul. Where we're not reading the main book, but we are checking in on these side books, which have been lots of fun. Where you do like Thunderbolts and stuff? Thunderbolts yeah. and Black Knight and some other ones. I do want to read some of those, but I just, I, I've mostly been paying attention to the main series. I feel like The King of Black has been going on for 10 years, though. It, yeah, there's, it, I mean, it's going back a lot of stuff, but I, uh, my introduction to Donny Cates was the Silver Surfer Black and, and his Thor run. Yep. And it, it all ties in, and it's fun. I can't I believe I'm that, enjoying that, uh, a Venom storyline. It's crazy. <laughs> I never knew that Danny Moonstar used to be a Valkyrie, so I learned that by reading this book, which was cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's back. You know, back when um, Louise Simonson and Walt Simonson were doing some X Factor stuff and um, New Mutant stuff, and they so mm-hmm. they tied the Thor stuff in with the uh, X Men, and that's kind of a, a corner of Marvel that I really like. And then the, there's the Valkyrie that hasn't been named who went off to get Yarn Bjorn. Is that so? Is that a new creation that's sort of bringing in the Tessa Thompson look? I believe so. I believe that's the intent there. I mean, it doesn't look like exactly well, like Tessa it. Thompson, but yeah. But you get Brunhilde, um, Hildegard, Danny Moonstar, Jane Foster. I was glad, I was glad that they referenced, because all of this is coming down to, like, how do you crack open a Celestial and, and get out the bad stuff? And so the fact that they had to go recover the axe. Garn Bjorn, and they, they referenced the uh, thing Rick Remender did where he made it so that Thor had enchanted the axe so that it could crack Celestial yes. armor. That was a good callback, because I was like, ah, I remember that issue. That was <laughs> I, just, I, just, I love big, big ideas like that. And this book has the sentry in it, and yet is good. Wasn't he ripped in half? This, I thought he was ripped in half. He was like, yeah, it was like the, I think yeah, the big shot Yeah, but Jane Foster is, is escorting his soul to, to Valhalla. Afterlife. Oh, yeah. thank God. I don't know if the Sentry gets to go to Valhalla. He might be going to his own different kind of afterlife, but some sort of afterlife. Oh, right, yeah. The afterlife in quotes. Yeah. So, I just want to really mention quickly Serial Number 2 by Terry Moore. This is the second issue of his new series of books that are all connected to each other. And I still don't know what's really going on, but I really, really liked it. The little girl who's a character who I always forget who she actually, actually is. She's some sort of a historical character. Her friend is murdered while she's in the other room, and she gets the look of evil on her face because she's, as we know from the other previous books, she's a very competent murderer. And so she in, in proceeds to investigate the murder. It was very much like a methodical cop story after that. And I really liked it. This is set in the modern day? Yeah. Like the podcast Serial that this is based yeah, on? Yeah, it's, it's a, an adaptation of the podcast Serial. The show that invented podcasting. Yeah, the show that yeah, that's why we're all here because of serial. So anyway, 
I don't really know what's going on other than, you know, they killed that guy in the first episode who was having an affair with his, he thought, underage employee. And, um, and this is the repercussions of that. And uh, his wife is then murdered uh, very brutally while the main character is in the next room making tea. Oh, is it the little girl who says male Kimp? Kimp? <laughs> so, anyway, <laughs> yeah, maybe that's her. Wow, that is a deep. Terry Moore is terrific, even if I don't always know what's going on. Red Sony 24, the end of the Mark Russell run at Dynamite uh, with Alessandro Miracolo, one of his artists uh, on art. Ryan, what did you think of the ending here? Yeah, I was bummed. I was bummed that we didn't get a little Bob Q here at the very end, yeah. but um, I've been reading this all the way through, and I, I've never read a Red Sony book before. I've read lots of. Um, Conan books over the years, but Red Sonia, because of the sort of pulpy cheesecakiness of the, the character, sometimes the cover alone was enough to be like, oh, that's not for me. Um, but this book has exceeded all my expectations and been a very, uh, in the typical Mark Russell fashion, uh, an exploration of the philosophical side of war and what it means to be a, a warrior in a war, a ruler in a war. But also a, a leadership in a and, and then be to and be the king yep. and, the, and have all this responsibility on you. But he does a good job. You know, we, we've known that this is going to be his last issue for a while. And so he does a good job sort of putting the character back into a position where the next writer can come along and, and you know, start with a cleanish slate. Um, she's no longer the empress of her own kingdom. She's instead back, just back on the road with her horse and her sword and her talking boar. And we'll see well, maybe some other people will see what, ha- what happens next. I, I imagine this will be the end of Red Sonia for me. But uh, I was really delighted with Mark Russell's run the whole way through. And I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge how good it was. And this is exciting for me because I just started this run, just started reading this. It's very good. It's a very, very good run. I just, uh, yeah, I read the first issue and it's uh, it's Mark Russell with um, Mirko Kolak. And it's, God, the art's incredible. I, I know he doesn't, st- it, it goes to Bob Q, who I also like. But uh, that art in that first issue. All the art here nuts. is is of a piece. They're all of a similar style. Yeah, it, it ties together very nicely. But yeah, I love some sword and sandals, and this is good. I hope the next writer starts off with the talking boar dying. <laughs> that was the only bit to me that didn't make sense and I didn't like. But other than Hanging that, it up too much? Literally. Yeah. There was a sister book, Killing Red Sonia, that he also wrote or co-wrote that wasn't as good. Okay. I know you, I, I, know, I, I did yeah, see I some one-shots on Comixology that... Recredited to him, so this series though was terrific. Paul, something is killing the children. What is it? Have you guys been reading this? No, no, okay. Is this the last issue? Well, it's the last issue for now. I think they're taking a little break, but this was like I, I, I think this started as like a six issue miniseries, and they're like, oh, this is doing really well, you should write more. Mm. So I think this is the second finale that he considered, but it's continuing to do so well that they're going to do more. It's but this fables, is the end in, the that, fables in, that, model. in that one town. Mm-hmm. So this is like the end of season one, basically, is my understanding. So this is James Tinian with art by Werther Del Adera. I believe Del Adera has been doing the art the entire time, and it's great. It's it's really creepy. The um, the dialogue writing is excellent. It's very It's very natural without being conspicuous about it. Sometimes I think people get too into like sentence fragments and like being cut off in dialogue and it's a little bit too much for the comics format. You want it to be a little bit more formal. Mm-hmm. But uh, here it, it, it feels very natural and, and I could see this working very well as a TV series. I would not be surprised if this were picked up. For, I, think, I think it's already under option. What, what's the high concept of this? 
So the high concept here is that something, Connor, is killing the children. Is it DDT? It's monsters. Oh. And the thing here is that only children can see the monsters. As you get older and lose your innocence, you don't see the monsters anymore. But they are still out there, and they are killing the children, Connor. And this is about a young woman with very unnaturally large eyes, like almost anime eyes. This is not an anime-style book. But she has big eyes, and she uh, comes to this town called Archer's Peak Mm -hmm. because something is killing the children, and she needs to stop that from happening. It's got this this mood about it that I I really appreciate. It's it's kind of like dying towns in in Middle America, Mm -hmm. where like like she sort of sets up camp in a in like an apple. It's not an Applebee's, but it's an Applebee's. Right. And she sort of sits in a booth there and camps out. And they're like, we, we, we run a business here. You got to order food and you can't be just sitting camping. And she's like, are people actually going to show up in the middle of the afternoon? Right. Like, no, things are moving on from this town. And so there, that's a little bit of the metaphor going on, but there's also a, a big sort of like Buffy, the vampire slayer kind of mythology where she has these handlers and, they're part of the the slaughter family, and it's about the collateral damage that goes on in the town. The sheriff is kind of a character, this young boy who is gay um, and was being harassed already for being gay, but then is now being harassed because all of his friends died, but he didn't. So people think that he's some kind of serial killer. Is he killing the children? But no, it's actually monsters who are killing the children. And Uh. he gets swept up in this. And so she's got a way sort of, is this person helping me? Or now that they've seen things, you know, are they damaged and they have to be part of my story? And um, it's just really great character stuff where you really care about the characters. And it just has a a, a wonderful voice to it. I think there's going to be more of it even like as soon as this year. So... Uh, I will be eagerly checking that out. But a lot of the issues, if you have Comixology Unlimited, like the first several are are free to read. So uh, worth checking out. All right. So those are the books we want to talk about. There's a lot of books, but if you go to patreon.com slash fanboy and join up, you can vote to add a book to the rundown. Any patron can vote. And this week, we had the biggest blowout in patron pick history. The book was By the Horns, number one, from Scout Comics. Written by Marcusan Nasso, with art by Jason Muir, colors by Andre Tabakaru, and letters by Jason Muir as well. And this book is drawn by iFanboy patron Jason Muir. That's why it won so big. Oh, okay. Cool. I should also mention that Scout publishes another book written by an iFanboy patron, Frank at Home on the Farm, which also came out this week. So Scout's just nabbing our talent from us. They're just scouting the patrons for talent, I guess. So... Interesting conundrum here. I like to use this metaphor because no one has seen it. So in the 90s, uh, MTV decided they were... MTV was still a place where you went for music videos at the time. Sure. And they decided they were going to retire a bunch of the old videos, and they were never going to show them again. So they did a special in which they had a bunch of comedians from the time, John Stewart and Junian Garofalo and Dennis Leary and, for some reason, Chris Kattan. And, and they were going to make fun of... They were going to roast the videos, and then they were going to destroy the master tapes. They did that for a couple of videos, and then they had... Vanilla Ice come out and sit with them while they did uh, Ice Ice Baby. And, and at first, there were no jokes. Cause, and then John Stewart said, you know, this is a lot harder when they're sitting here with us. So it's hard to separate the idea of, I know that Jason Muir is a patron from, from the review in the same way that if Paul had a book that came out and it was patron pick, it'd be hard for me to separate. Okay. You know what I mean? So That's fair. Just, just caveat, this is, this is a slightly more difficult uh, 
task than normal. Um, but let's talk about By the Horns, number one, which is a story of a woman whose name is what? Elodie. Who goes out and kills monsters. She goes out from a little village hunting for unicorns because unicorns killed her boyfriend or husband or whoever. Her lover, yeah. And so she goes out hunting for unicorns, never finds any, but kills all the monsters she can find, brings them back to her village and makes terrible soup with them. Meanwhile, the other people in her village are angry that she doesn't help with the farming, and so eventually they cast her out of the village, and now she's... I like that they actually voted to, like, we. she's got to go, the soup yeah. is really bad. <laughs> the soup's bad, you're not helping, you got to go. So they cast her out, and so she's now wandering the earth like Cain to find unicorns with her creature buddy, her, what is that, like a... It's like a wolf thing. It's a, it's a wolf with hooves. Which actually is what the earliest whales, while they were still on land, would have kind of looked like. So the earliest I, I, whales. It's a land yeah, whale. Whales didn't start on land. Connor. With hooves. They're mammals. Yeah, they a were whale a whale wolf. They were a hooved, uh, sort of hooved, elongated wolf crocodile thing for a while as they transitioned back into the marine. So her, her wolf slash deer with also kind of like ram horns, not ram it's horns. It's a Pokemon. <laughs> also can talk to her. This is a fantasy story with talking, you know, there's a, there's a red panda shopkeeper. This is like a very much a fantasy tale. What did you guys think? I enjoyed this. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting now to know the story that the reason this was probably voted on was because the patron was part of it, but I'm glad that that happened because this is a really interesting um, book that I'm very curious to see where it goes. Cause I, I love high fantasy and, I love high fantasy where there are also like original ideas thrown in. Like, yes, there, it, there are unicorns, but unicorns are apparently very aggressive in this world. They're evil. And are assholes and yeah. will gore you to death. Right. But there's also like red panda shopkeepers. So it's sort of like, it's, it's almost more like a, like a JRPG, like sort of like, like, a, like a Japanese view of fairy tale Europe. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of monsters and stuff, and like, I, but I could very much see a video game, like, you know, in the the Legend of Zelda vein, where you go up to a shopkeeper and they just happen to be an anthropomorphic red panda. Right. So I think it's a really colorful world. It's uh, beautifully drawn, and um, I've, at first I was a little thrown off with like because we get this flash forward where she has murdered. It looks like a unicorn. Right. So we know that's going to happen. Yeah. Of animals and animal characters, and like there's there's a beautiful narration of the dying unicorn, and I thought the voice was very touching. And like, like I remember, it's like the, the unicorn's talking about like the magic fading or like draining from its body. And I was like, wow, this is really like heavy, <laughs> like um, hard to read kind of stuff. But I, I thought it was very poetic and. I liked this. I thought it was as I as I read more. I was like, "Wow, this is a really fleshed out world," and you don't see a lot of just straight up fantasy. Mm-hmm. There's some sci-fi stuff in here too. I mean, the, the first yeah. you know first couple of pages when she's coming back to town, there's robots filling oh, yeah. the fields and there's hover. You know, it's it's, it's sci-fi in a very Star Wars way of just right. like we've got a robot, but it's doing farming labor, and we've got a hovering. You know, we've got a hovering uh, uh, cart, but we're just using it to haul monster heads back to town. And, so, and people with, like, metal plates in their heads and arms and stuff. And, yeah, yeah so there's, like, stuff. you know, neon signs when she gets to the, the port city and all this other stuff. Maybe this is a bad thing on my part. Also, I thought the Sky Whale or the Whale Dragon was awesome. I know we were talking about the, her, her companion also being whale-ish, but in a very different way. Right. Good map sequence with her going around the land, killing monsters. I've oh, yeah, playing, yeah. I've got a computer 
So I've been able to start playing Witcher 3. I know I'm years behind on my gameplay, but uh, are, yeah. I, I've been enjoying, you know, exploring the countryside, encountering monsters, killing those monsters, taking some meat. In The Witcher, you don't get to make soup. You just eat the meat raw, but this uh, scratched that same itch, and so I had a lot of fun with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought this was fun. It's not entirely my thing, but it's not entirely not my thing. But I did enjoy it. I thought the, as you said, Paul, the tension with the f- town was kind of interesting and fun. Like, you know, uh, you're not holding like she, like she has this guy who's been vouching for her, and he's right. like... It was the father of her boyfriend or whoever it was, it was the right. guy vouching for And the wolf character used to be like the companion to the boyfriend. Right. I am loyal to him, and now I'm loyal to you because he's gone, so... And seeking revenge and stuff. I just feel like it feels very lived in. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of backstory that they have at the ready, and yeah. so it doesn't it doesn't feel amateurish at all. I think I think you'd you'd have to agree with that. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah, for it sure. It doesn't. It feels ver- even if it's not like your genre or your thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's you know very thoughtful and it's polished for sure. And polished. I thought the art was good. I really liked the breakout panels where they would break a character out. You know, like when she, yes. when she first arrives and takes her helmet off, she's broken out, and the red panda gets broken out. I think that's a fun device. I think obviously Jason Muir is very talented. I think there's a couple of things I noticed, like the hands tend to be a little small, and the characters really, really emote when they're upset. Like the the uh, council meeting where they're voting her out, they're all very oh sure. But other than that, like I thought it was really strong. The storytelling was strong, and you know he, he obviously has a great handle on these kind of mythical, you know, fantasy creatures and characters and tech and that all looked very lived in and you know it didn't look like it was ripping off any other fantasy stories in terms of look and feel yeah you couldn't say like oh this is just game of thrones or you know it looked good i liked it i enjoyed reading it and i'm glad it was voted for because this is definitely a comic i probably wouldn't have checked out yeah this wasn't on my radar so uh but i i I like the title and uh the concept while i was wary of it at first because i didn't want to see slaughtered unicorns all the time but they're dicks paul they're dicks yeah there's something going on there and so yeah so there you go ratings Ratings on by the horns out of five stars ratings Uh, hmm, this is harder because they're in the room (laughs) Uh, i'm gonna give it three and a half mostly because it's not necessarily totally my thing but i did think it was well done and i enjoyed it Okay, I'll give it a four. I think I'm also going four. Right. Sticking with it? Probably not. I'm very curious to see where the, you know, I, I just think there's some concepts there that I haven't seen before. and I, Yeah, I had a heavy week this week, so a book, so I don't think I would have read this if it hadn't been the patron pick and sort of required reading. Yeah. If the next issue comes out on a light week, I will probably check it out. If it comes out on a heavy week, I, I might just miss it, not through any fault of its own, but just from being overwhelmed with other books. But if I hear it's very good, I, I would definitely go back and check out a collection. I also wanted to mention Jordan Thomas is the name of the patron who writes Frank at the Farm, of the other Scout book. So there you go. If you want to get into comics, cool. become a Kai Fanboy patron. <laughs> good going, patrons. Also, patreon.com slash ifanboy. If you give it the $5 or higher level, get your superpower live on the show. And we're going to re-increase the number of patrons on the show because we found a bunch of patrons who had upgraded their patronage. And it, we don't really get alerted to that. Patreon up until recently didn't really have a good system for that. So we had a bunch of people we missed for a while. So we're going to go probably go back to four per show after this. So just FYI. So we're going to start with Tell That to Culture Club, the patron named Tell That to Culture Club. Okay. And um, Tell That to Culture Club's superpower is that they can read anything. 
any any written word they can read and decipher, not just language, but handwriting. Oh, interesting. Any okay, kind okay. of if it's written on a on a page or a parchment or a stone, they can read it. It'd be very valuable if this person tell that to Culture Club is a pharmacist, right? Could read all doctors' or handwriting. Archaeologist. Yeah, archaeologist. Yeah, but if Josh wrote them a note in, hand, in his handwriting, they'd be able to decipher it. Anything written, they, they have no problem reading. This would be useful to me to transcribe my dad's stuff at work. <laughs> what if I just like drew a squiggle on a piece of paper? Would they be able to read my intention? No, it's, it's got to be actual language. It just If it's unread, you know, they can read any language written down. Yeah, if you just scribbled something, yeah, your intention would yeah. be deception. Yeah. Uh, okay. If so you had about, a noble intent. Yeah. And, true and of extinct, heart. Ex- I assume this applies to like extinct languages too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as it's written, Mm -hmm. but as long as it's written and it's real language, not some sort of. What if they go to the aquarium and see the octopus like spurt some ink, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, they're 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 communicating. They're telling us things." If the octopus had intent, I think I think every octopus I've met has intent. (laughs) They're very smart. I know that. Then that'd be fine too, if as long as Paul said it's an actual thing and not just you know we're making it up. James Kurtz, James, you have the ability. This is this is of a piece with. uh, Tell that to Culture Club. Uh, but a, probably a little bit more narrow. I don't know if you'll appreciate <laughs> this ability, but it's what came to me. James, you can communicate to, not with, bees. Bees. So when you speak, bees, bees will know your intent. This does not mean that you control bees. They have the choice to ignore you. But they will understand what you are saying. James can talk to bees, but bees can talk to James? Bees cannot talk to James. Okay. He cannot comprehend the bee's intent. But if he wanted to warn a bee about something or alert them (laughs) to bee deals. Or say, listen, bee, I'm not a threat. Don't sting me. And they would understand that. But Sting them anyway because bees are dicks. Right. Right. But they're very whoa, important whoa, and they disappear. Connor, so we need anyways, bees. I know we need bees. We need doesn't them. mean they're not dicks. Mm, I think it does, but, actually. We, they, no. they feed us. They give us our food. And this applies to all bees. You can be necessary bees, for survival bees. and still be an asshole. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I do not support Connor's anti-bee stance, everybody. <laughs> this does not apply to murder hornets. Yeah, what about wasps? Jackets. What about hornets? I think there's some pollinators amongst the, the Vespidae branch of the old bee tree. That's that's for Ryan to, to parse. <laughs> so if you need any follow-up. Ask Ryan. Don't bother, Ryan. Don't bother Paul. Well, uh, you wanna, funnel- if you want to put out your email address, you can. <laughs> funnily on enough. At Haupt. Not Haupt is my Twitter account. And funnily enough, my patron power for Ken Ochilek is also a Hymenopteran-based power. And I came up with this independent of any... I came up with this before you started talking, Paul. Okay. So it just, just so happens, but not not bees or wasps. We're talking ants, people. Ken has a, a mutualistic colony of acacia ants, Pseudomyrmex ferrygnia, living on his body. Oh, Produces hollow thorns for them to lay their eggs and live in, and belchin bodies, which is a small little pore on the surface of his skin that produces a sugary, fatty, protonaceous liquid for the ants to drink and enjoy, and the ants defend him against attackers. What? Why would you do this to Ken? Why would you give him a colony of ants living on his body? 
Because now he's got a defense mechanism. No, no herbivores are going to mess with Ken anymore because he will, he will attack them with the ants. So he, can we see the ants crawling on him constantly? No, because he's got all these hollow thorns and the ants can live inside the hollow thorns. Just like on a real... Just so he like has on to a real activate them. He, he has a, an ant colony inside of him that he unleashes on attackers. It's sort of like having an external immune system, right? Like if someone's bothering him, he can just like put a hand on their shoulder and like think to the ants, like, go ants, go. And the ants will just attack the person and then come back to him. So it's like a hive mind? Well, he's got, they're the immune, it's a mutual. Or, I'm sorry, they, ants they, don't. They all work together. So the ants, the ants are there to defend him. And if they sense the need for defense, they're going to come out and attack whatever it is that Ken needs defending from. Could they ever turn on him? No, well, if he stopped feeding them, but he's got the Belgian bodies, which are producing the, the sugary proteinaceous liquid uh, lipid fluid for the ants to feed from. Oh, boy. This is like that uh, Ninja Scrolls villain with the, uh, the bees in his back. Bees. Bees. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. That's where you can go at the $5 higher level to support the show. Ken, James, and tell it to Culture Club. Thanks for being patrons. Sorry for the wait. And like I said, we'll be moving forward with some more people who have been in the backlog as we go forward the next couple of weeks. Patreon.com slash iFanboy, iFanboy.threadless.com, iFanboy.com slash support, iFanboy.com slash Amazon. Those are all the ways you can help to support the show. And thanks to everyone who does that. And we have to skip the emails because we went long, as predicted. Let's do some plugs. This past month, February, was supposed to be the show of four extra shows, but Josh dropped the ball on the talks blowed, so you only got three extra extra shows. You got the books blowed, the Jack Kirby, the Epic Life of the King of Comics uh, review. You had the Animation Brain Trust, which is th- the three of us currently on the show now, talking about Batman's Soul of the Dragon. And then you had the media explode where we talked about a couple of things, but then the main topic was Cobra Kai seasons one through three, which was a lot of fun. Listen, shortest month of the year. Yeah. yeah. So, you know. listen, you want to give Josh excuses? That's fine. You know, fear does not exist in this dojo. I can say that. No, it does not. You done screwed up, glasses. <laughs> you let me down. Ryan, plug your show. I do a show called Science Order. You can find it at scienceorder.com. The episode that just came out that folks can go check out is a really fun interview we did with a, a biologist, Gina Zwicky, down. Uh, she's based in New Orleans, but she does some really cool stuff with lizards in the Caribbean and leads uh, frog tours. Uh, mm. So if you are tours in the, for frogs, it's, it's yeah. tours to go listen to frogs. She takes frogs downtown, shows them the theater district. It's a program called Frog Watch. And so if you, and, and there are Frog Watch chapters all across the country. So no matter where you live in these United States, I, I do not believe it is an international program yet. But if you are interested in going and listening to frogs, it makes sense because there's a lot of places cool. that frogs haven't been to. So there's, it makes sense that you want to take frogs around all over the country. Yeah, I think Australians when, might have something to say about that, given their invasive frog issues. But here in the States, we got lots of frogs for people to enjoy. If they know when how. this whole pandemic has settled down, I'd like to go on that tour and then leave it a Yelp review with the single word, riveting. <laughs> riveting. That honestly sounds cool. And uh, yeah, it was really fun to talk to Gina. She's, it was one of those interviews where I was like, man, you're really smart. You're talking about like lizard immune systems and how they evolve on different islands of the Caribbean. And you're clearly a cooler person than me. And you're taking people out on frog tours. So just a lot of fun stuff happening there. Paul, anything to plug for you? No, staying out of it. Staying out of it. If, uh, <laughs> if you need repair work in the Philly area, you can find Paul's garage. Yep. Yeah. Right. We don't well, want more customers. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want. <laughs> Please don't come to our garage. At one point, I asked my dad if if, if I could produce a commercial for him or, or do something like on social media, and he was like, "I don't want more customers." Uh, if anyone ever needed a reality TV show, it's Paul and his family at the garage. All these people coming in with their problems. <laughs> Head over to ifanboy.com. 
you can find all of our shows in the his vast history of comic book writing, in which Ryan and Paul were a big part of. Uh, they're all there at ifanboy.com. You can still find all that stuff there. And you can like facebook.com slash ifanboy or follow at ifanboy on Twitter or ifanboy comics on Instagram. You can find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out by following any of those places individually. We are CS Kilpatrick on Instagram, Ryan Haupt on Instagram, and Haupt on Twitter. And Fuzzy Typewriter on Instagram and Twitter. And, of course, we have our YouTube page where you can subscribe to find all the old video shows. YouTube.com slash iFanboy. They're being uploaded every week. This past week, we had the Pick of the Week, Captain Britain and MI13 number one mini. We had a vault show looking at the Damned, Exit Wounds, and Emperor Doom, one of my favorite Marvel books. And we had a show about politics and comics. And those are a lot of fun. We're still in 2008, so we've got a long way to go. We're uploading those shows every week. It's going to be a couple of years of uploading. So enjoy those at youtube.com slash ifanboy. And subscribe if you want to keep up with all those shows. And if you like the show, please consider leaving a review or star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Not only for this show, but for any podcast you listen to. Science sort of be another one you can do. Any show you like really does help them to leave a review or star rating. It helps the people find the shows. And it's a real easy way to support a show you, you enjoy. Even better than that, word of mouth, tell your friends whenever they come into the garage with a car problem. Paul always tells them to listen to the show. We always appreciate mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. He gives them a card with all the information on it. Give them a USB dongle with yeah. a sampler of ep- episodes on it. You just start burning CDs and give them like an old-fashioned CD. It's like, here, I made you a mixtape, but it's just iFanboy episodes. Yep. Yeah. He always leaves it somewhere hidden in the car whenever they fix it. That's a nice little <laughs> treat for them. We're just in the CD players when they turn the car on. It starts to play. <laughs> Let's spread the word. We do appreciate everyone does that. Thank you, Ryan and Paul, for jumping on to fill Josh's shoes for having us this is fun i enjoy talking comics with you guys we'll have to do it more often and until that time i'm connor i'm ryan comics are life i'm paul stay safe wash your hands be good talk to you next week mask goes over the nose <laughs> over it and the mouth right not just one of the oh other. yeah yeah not just the nose <laughs> that would be silly and if you don't wear a mask ken's gonna attack you with those ants <laughs> <laughs>